Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the State of Dallas podcast. I'm Billy Embody. Thanks for listening. Appreciate all of you guys joining us on the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Network, the Republic of Football podcast. Find it, Apple, Spotify, wherever you catch your podcast at. You can also catch us on the Dave Campbell's YouTube channel. Find us, subscribe, follow, like, do all the things. Appreciate you guys listening. SMU coming off of a 69-10 win over Tulsa last week on homecoming for the Mustangs. They earn bowl eligibility. They earn one of the largest um, margins of victory once again in program history. Uh, the Mustangs are absolutely cooking right now, getting through a stretch of games that includes Charlotte, East Carolina, Temple, and now Tulsa. They're 4-0 in AAC play, sitting very much in control of their own destiny for this uh, for this AAC championship game uh, appearance uh, chase that is going on with got with with programs like SMU, Tulane, uh, UTSA is hanging around, Memphis, uh, all of those programs very much in the mix. Florida Atlantic um, and even uh, Rice, I believe, still on uh, life support there uh, for that, but uh, they'll need a lot of help. But Rice is who SMU plays this weekend, 6.30 p.m. Central on ESPNU. But look, SMU took care of business against a Tulsa team that now sits at at 3-5 and five overall. Um, the Mustangs were very much in control start to finish. They were up 52-3. to three. Uh, The 52 first half points are the most in the first half this season against an FBS opponent. And the 49-point halftime lead is the highest by an FBS team this season. Again, this wasn't Prairie View A&M. This was Tulsa, a team that historically has had enough athletes to give SMU a lot of issues. Last year, they gave SMU you know, a game up there in Tulsa and a, a program that uh, has historically played SMU tough. And just two years ago, beat SMU in Sonny Dykes' last game in uh, Dallas um, as SMU head coach, at least. And now the Mustangs moved to 6-0 and when they've scored at least 30 points in a game. Uh, once again, they had a, at least eight receivers catch a pass, um, and that has happened in every game this season. Preston Stone, SMU's quarterback, now ranks 10th in the NCAA in touchdown passes with 19 um, and you know took home a bunch of uh, weekly honors as he passed for a career-high 371 yards and three touchdowns in less than two quarters. Think about this. If he was, let's say, in a shootout with Tulsa and there was defense optional on both sides, he would have been on pace to break the single-game NCAA passing yardage mark, um, which I believe is about 714 or so uh, by Patrick Mahomes and, and, and another quarterback that's tied with him. Um, this, this team has outscored conference opponents 189 to 36. And, uh, in part because of that now, uh, continue to receive votes in the coaches poll for a second straight week. It's hard to quantify for SMU fans how impressive SMU has been because we know that Tulsa, Temple, and Charlotte in particular are 
are not the best, you know, uh, competition that they could face by any means. But this is an SMU team that historically has not been able to play lesser opponents and beat them this badly. They're a program that has been kind of working towards that. I think last year against USF, SMU took care of business in a big way. Um, I'd have to go back and look, but to do what they've done in all the games that they've really been, I'm pretty sure outside of Oklahoma and TCU, they've been favored in every game. To to go out and, and dominate for the most part the way they have um, every other game this year is really impressive. SMU is a good football team. They are a good football team that should be playing for the AAC championship in December. That's how much talent they have. That's how much, I think, growth we've seen from this team even since the beginning of the year. Keep in mind, Preston Stone, very much not uh, efficient as as efficient as this staff would have liked him to be early in this season. He had his moments like against Oklahoma. I thought he played really well. Uh, there were throws he wanted to have back, but that's football. There were times, though, kind of against TCU, against East Carolina, um, even against Charlotte. He had an interception, to be, you know, because he put one behind him. You look back on some of those and. You don't sit there and and say, wow, that is a championship level quarterback. He has worked really, really hard to improve his short to intermediate passing. Um, I think SMU has done a nice job of scheming up some guys to be a little bit more open in particular areas of the field, talking like especially like 10 to 10 to 20 yards, probably like 12, 12 to 20 yards down the field. I'm talking like sail routes, overs things like that. Um, and even some of those passes that he's been able to find guys beyond the first down marker in between, you know, the safety help over the top and then maybe a corner plan up toward the line of scrimmage. He's done a really nice job finding those things. And so you look at Preston's development and now you sit here and say, okay, four games to go. SMU uh, sitting at uh, six and two overall. Uh, they've got Bryce this week, 6.30 p.m. Central on ESPNU down there in Houston. Then they've got to face uh, North Texas, and then they've got to face Memphis, and they've got to face Navy. You feel good about three of those four while knowing that there's a real chance that somewhere along the way you could stumble. But what I like about Preston Stone is he is really starting to play with more confidence. And Preston always looks like a guy that is confident and has enthusiasm and all those things. But I said this even since the East Carolina game. He was more confident going into that game. He showed it early, showed it late. Things were bad in the middle. But since then, he has shown that confidence and backed it up with pretty much, I mean, Perfect play for the most part. I mean, it, it, there's stuff here and there, but, you know, exactly what you wanted to see from him, he's done the last two weeks. And to a clip that we really haven't seen um, since I've been covering at SMU, I mean, on this level where they've been able to dominate two conference teams like this, it's pretty wild. 
And now you, you, you build a little bit more momentum because Tulsa, again, kind of a, been a team that played you tough. And so you have Preston Stone playing well. You have a run game that was able to produce offensively with guys like Kamar Wheaton totaling 100-plus all-purpose yards. Um, he was really, really good um, against, against Tulsa. He had two touchdowns as well, 8.9 yards per carry. LJ Johnson, eight carries, 39 yards, 4.9. Uh, Jalen Knighton, six carries, 34 yards, and a touchdown, 5.7. Uh, this offense rolled up 638 yards of offense. Uh, they were four of 10 on third down. Not great, but um, when you're able to produce like they were. Um, and again, remember, this is a team that SMU had the backups in the entire second half. So I don't even know. I guess I could look real quick what it was um, at at the half. Um, do first half. Um, SMU was two of five on third downs with a fourth down conversion. So really three of five or three of six in, in critical conversion opportunities, I guess. So 50%. Um, I, I think all the things you wanted to see against a team that should have presented a tougher opposition to you, you did. And defensively, SMU continues to impress. They just continue to do it all the right way. 247 total yards allowed. Uh, just 14 first downs on the game. Again, second half, they they tried to rotate a good bit of guys in. They were 5 of 17 on third downs, two fourth down stops, uh, 3.4 yards per play. That's sick. Um, and then, you know, the run defense with sacks taken out, 3.6 yards per carry. That's pretty good. Uh, you just I, – I, I, I haven't seen anything like this in, in a minute. Um, and SMU now in the total defense uh, in the AAC continued to raise up their bar um, even higher. Uh, they're number one in the in the league in uh, total defense. Uh, they're twelfth nationally in two hundred eighty point eight yards per game given up. Um, SMU is right up there uh, for yards per play allowed as well, and um, uh, they're actually third nationally in yards per play allowed, which is just insane, 4.14. Uh, but that's behind Ohio State and Penn State. Those two teams playing a lot of you know Big Ten football, um, quite honestly. And, and so you you kind of like the top five, the top six teams, five of the six are from the Big Ten with Michigan and Iowa right behind SMU in yards per play. So yeah, SMU is not facing the best competition at times, but they're also so far ahead in terms of yards per play and and in terms of the defense getting a chance to play guys in the second half the last two weeks that you would kind of think, okay, maybe there's going to be something that kind of filters it out and changes it. But, I mean, what an effort by Scott Simons and this defensive staff to put together this group to keep them hungry. Um, Rhett Lashley talked about it after the game, how – the guys were ticked off that they allowed a touchdown there at the end, um, or, or excuse me, that they allowed a field goal in the first half, the starting group, uh, they allowed a touchdown late, the, the backups did. But, um, you know, SMU is, uh, you know, grabbed an interception with Isaiah Wachovia returning one for a touchdown to make it 28 nothing uh, or 28 to three uh, at the end of the first quarter. Uh, Jalen Davis Robinson, who left kind of banged up, 
um, grabbed an interception as well. They just take it to you and they keep hitting and keep hitting. And this week it'll be a totally different task because they will have to face JT Daniels. SMU is going to have to get home a little bit more in terms of um, rushing the passer when they face JT Daniels. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, this is a different offense that SMU is going to face this week that they haven't really faced uh, overall this season. And that's where the, the it's, it's going to be a, a tall task. Um, Rice is actually pretty good at protecting JT Daniels. They uh, keep him clean. He gets the ball out quick. So probably this week, one of my keys of the game is going to be getting after JT Daniels as best you can, staying in rush lanes, getting a hand up because that ball comes out quick. So if you can get some tip passes um, like they did against uh, uh, Tulsa, which led to an interception by Isaiah uh, Wachovia, all those things can help. Uh, but this SMU team is just playing at another level right now on both sides of the ball. And again, competition is not where it is going to be kind of down the stretch here in this season, but it is at a place where SMU can be, um, you know, very much um, at a, uh, I would say, confident level overall heading into the last four games of the season. And that's important. That's really, really important. And I like where what they've been able to do overall um, from a just getting after the quarterback, being able to put pressure um, on opposing offenses just by collapsing the pocket. It hasn't been a sack affair, but it's been enough where these quarterbacks, especially ones that can run, haven't been able to hurt SMU as much. And that's important when it comes down to it. Um, so you can't help but just feel really, really good about where SMU stands overall heading into this final four-game stretch. So uh, we're going to preview SMU Rice with at theroost.com's Matthew Bartlett on the other side of the break. But quickly before we go, um, and that'll wrap up the podcast with the State of Dallas podcast, but um, SMU did get word of their ACC schedule on uh, Monday night, it was revealed on the ACC Network. And this is exciting stuff for SMU fans. Um, you get the chance to learn where you're going on the road, hosting for the next seven years. And SMU had a couple tricks up their sleeve, too. Uh, they added a game against BYU in 2024. They'll return the favor in 2027. Um, so th now SMU plays 11 of 12 games next year. They're against Big 12, ACC, or SEC schools. Um, with BYU, TCU, Vanderbilt, Houston Christian as a non-conference. And then you get into uh, your the rest of your home slate, which includes Florida State, which is the number four team in the country in the AP right now, um, at least as of the recording. Cal, Boston College, Pitt. And then you go on the road and you face Vanderbilt of the SEC. Then Virginia, Stanford, Louisville, Duke. What a schedule for next year for SMU fans. Tons to be excited about. So Feel free to uh, check out our work at ontheponyexpress.com. We're part of the On3 network, so we uh, you know, cover the team day in, day out, whether it's team, whether it's recruiting. Got all that info there for you on how things are going with the ACC uh, preparations that SMU has to make. A lot of things to be done around campus. We've had interviews with Rick Hart. But, yeah, I think for me, you look at that home slate 
And you can't be more excited if you're an SMU fan. Not only you get to play a rival, TCU, you get to try to avenge the loss to BYU in the bowl game last year. You bring in Florida State, which is you know playing at an elite, elite level right now. Cal is your uh, permanent rival along with Stanford. Then you get Boston College, another private in a big um, in, a, in a big area. You get Pitt to come in, and then you get some fun places to go and travel. So this is what it's all about when you're talking about the ACC move that SMU put together. And now it's it's time to uh, start preparing for that. So if you want the inside info on where SMU stands when it comes to the transfer portal and getting ready and building for that, be sure to check out on theponyexpress.com, part of the On3 network. But for now, guys, appreciate you guys listening. We're going to go to our interview with Matthew Bartlett of attheroost.com. He's a part of the Republic of Football Podcast Network. We'll take you guys out uh, with a preview of SMU Rice, 6.30 p.m. Central on ESPNU come Saturday. Big matchup in state of Texas. So be sure to uh, check out on theponyexpress.com for all your coverage. We'll catch you guys next week with another edition of the State of Dallas podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. Enjoy this interview, and we'll catch you next week. Welcome back to the State of Dallas podcast, part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network, the Republic of Football Podcast. We've got one of our own now joining us, Matthew Bartlett at theroost.com, the Roost Podcast with the Republic of Football. Fun opportunity for us, an in-state game, SMU Rice, Saturday night down there in Houston. This is a big one for both programs. Rice pushing toward that bowl eligibility. SMU already bowl eligible, but very much in the picture for the AAC championship game. Matthew, thanks for joining us. Uh, things are looking up in Houston with Rice. Yeah, this is what everybody's hoping for, right? You want to get to, you know, I guess we'll be it'll be November when this game kicks off. You want to get to November with stakes at play for everyone involved. No, I think that that'll make this weekend particularly interesting. Renewing the uh, rivalry with this one, SMU looking to avenge a 2012 loss down there in Houston to Rice uh, all the way back then about a decade ago. Um, programs have very much changed since then, multiple head coaching changes, um, but Mike Bloomgren and his staff have done a really nice job building this program up. They went to a bowl last year. They have a win against Houston this year. They've played multiple good opponents, tough. Is this the time where they could get that big signature AAC win? I mean, you're you hoping so, right? If you're if you're at South Main, I think what Bl Bloomgren has done really, really well to this point is uh, three of the past four years, he signed the number one recruiting class in program history. And at some point, you bring in all that talent in, and and you got to find results on the field. So the win over Houston, the the only Power Five win the AAC has to date, that was big, but particularly when you're recruiting, you want to win those battles against other schools in your state that you're recruiting against. So to be able to pull the trifecta, get the Dallas win and the Houston win, you couldn't ask for much of a better season if you're the Rice Owls. JT Daniels, who's been in college football forever, is pulling the trigger quarterback there for the Owls. Tell me about this offense because they have the connection with Luke McCaffrey at wide receiver. Very, very productive, almost 700 yards on the year. But what does this offense look like? What is it predicated on? Uh, how do they get the ball up and down the field? I think the most interesting has been the evolution of this offense under Mike Bloomer. He comes here from Stanford, was an O-line coach, and his thing was like, pound the rock, intellectual brutality, let's run the football. 
and you fast forward to this season and they have games where they, man, I think they had one yard rushing a couple weeks ago in USF, something like that. And he's like, well, screw it. Like if we, we don't need to run. Let's just throw. And they let JT Daniels loose. And he's averaging something like 250 plus a game, a couple touchdowns, made really good decisions with the football, an absolute escape artist who just like, oh, he's gone. And then boom, the ball's downfield for a 40 yard touchdown. So I, I credit him with evolving. Uh, that's something that coaches, I think, don't do very well in this sport. They kind of stick to their guns. And he's kind of been willing to say, hey, I have these guys. Let's ride them. And They've put up yards and points in bunches. It hasn't been on the ground. It's been through the air. But when you have a, you know, as he jokes, like a 14-year college quarterback, you he should be playing like a 14th-year college quarterback, and he, he certainly is. Is the fit with Mike Bloomgren coming in from Stanford, I know he's been there a minute now, but is that probably the most important piece to how he's been able to understand what it takes to build a program at a school like Rice? I think so. And I think something that as I've talked to people about Bloomgren and, and his era at Rice is he's gotten something that nobody gets in college football anymore. He's gotten time you know, he's had six seasons to gut a roster, rebuild a roster, install an offensive defensive coordinator, get a new OC and then rebrand an offensive identity to what works with the talent that he's been able to assemble. Coaches going to get three years anymore, let alone six. And so I think this is the great experiment that Rice is undertaking. And they might decide, hey, you know, six years, you know, it's somebody else's turn. Uh, they could pull the trigger. But also they have now have proof of concept that if this works and, and Bloom can, you know, pick up another couple wins and show show that proof of concept that maybe we rebound the other way. And this one year, two year cycle lengthens out for programs that, you know, if you can spend top dollar and buy everybody and you'd be playoff bound, great. But that's not the reality for 115 of the 130 some odd college football teams in this country. So, yeah, Bloomgren's gotten time and the results are are slowly building. A 30 to 28 loss to Tulane last week. A really, really good showing from Rice. Take us back to that game a little bit. Where did Rice go right? Where did they go wrong against uh, the green wave there? I mean, you can't ever boil it down to one or two plays, but it was that close of a game. And if you look, there were a couple drives, the first drive of the game for Tulane where they rip off a 40 yard uh, run and then basically stutter out, kick a field goal. They have another drive at the end of the first half where they hit a, a big pass, stutter out and kick a field goal where basically you have, you know, those two drives where you don't have much of a, you know, fluent offense and you just kind of get two spark plays. You kick two field goals in those drives and it's a two point win. And so that's kind of what it felt like for Rice. It was just one or two. You make one or two more plays and this is a team that you can not only hang with, but beat. And the people in that locker room feel like they should have beaten. Tulane, you know, double digit dogs, but it certainly was one that Tulane had to go in there and earn. So they're not going to be afraid to play anybody on their schedule. Defensively, uh, who are some of the key X factors for that Owls group? Um, I know it hasn't been pretty. It hasn't been perfect. But um, who are the key guys for, for the Owls this year defensively? 
One of the heart and souls of this team on defense has been Josh Piercy, who went down midway through that Tulane game. Not sure about his status, but it looks like he might be out this week, which would be a massive loss. But it's going to be an interesting test for, you know, like we talked about, is year six, you've had the time to bring in the roster and bring in the depth. So they have a guy that transferred in, Coleman Koku, who's been just a, a homewrecker, homewrecker at the other end spot. They got the Braylon Carroll, Duncanville guy, and uh, Isaiah Floyd, a bunch of big guys in the middle kind of gritting it out. And it's kind of started with the defensive line. And then they found uh, a couple corners and Sean Fresh and, and Treshawn Devones who have been able to, in this defense, <laughs> you know, DC Brian Smith wants you to play on an island and win. And for the most part, they've been able to do that. And if you can do that, it opens up so many different creative possibilities. So it's going to be a tall task against this SMU offense. They got playmakers, uh, but if they can hold their own and keep the ball in front of them, uh, you know, that's kind of where it has to start. With, with Piercy being out, are there any other injuries you're keeping an eye on? I know JT Daniels has been gutting it out throughout this season for the most part, but any others that you're, you're watching closely there? Uh, you know, at the most part, for the most part, this is, you know, knock on wood, but the healthiest that that Rice has been at any point under Bloomgren. They have essentially all of their starters present and accounted for that have been going since day one, uh, you know, minus Piercy in this game. There's a couple auxiliary pieces that, you know, ever, you, you'd, we'd like to have this guy, you know, this, this guy for this situation there, but, but nobody's healthy and what are we on week 10? of college football. So all things considered, uh, you have your star quarterback, you have all your playmakers, uh, Sands one. It, it's as good as you're going to get at this point in the year. Uh, keys to the game, offense, defense. What are, what do they always kind of have to do to, to put themselves in the best position to win this one? I think for the offense, I, I don't have much concern and they're going to find ways to score. They, they've done it all year against a variety of defenses, especially with JT healthy uh, X factor for me has to be the defense for rice. And I, I think it's uh, unreasonable at this point. We've kind of seen who they are to kind of expect like a, a shutout performance or anything quite to that level. I mean, I'd love to see it. I'm, you know, rice defense, go prove me wrong, please. That'd be really fun. But what I'm hoping for and expecting is uh, make make the key havoc place. That, that's what they need. They need a turnover to a key sack uh, on third down. Plays that can can redefine games. They're going to give up yards, and uh, they you know haven't been the best tackling team this year. Like there's there's going to be plays made where things don't go their way. What what matters the most is can they bow down in the red zone and hold those turn those sevens into threes. And then can they make the right play when they need to at the right time? And for the most part, they've been able to do that. If they want to win and beat a good team like SMU, they're going to have to find a way to do it one more time than they were able to last week. Yeah, taking care of the football has been critical for SMU, and now they've started to take it away a little bit. So uh, that turnover battle will be key. Do you have a score prediction for us, or how do you see this one playing out even? I think it's going to be close, man. I, I think if you're Rice, you don't. Uh, special teams has been an adventure. I don't think you want to kick field goals. I I think in this is a game where it's, you know, maybe 28, 27, and you can flip a coin and tell me who wins. I, I think it might be that close. It is. Let's touch on special teams real quick, and then I'll I'll get you out of here. Adventure? How? Just kicking or all of it? Because SMU's kind of started off that way too and they've kind of righted the ship a little bit but you never know when those issues can pop up 
Yeah, they've been they've been killer for Rice this year. The punting has just not been good enough. Uh, they've had a, a couple, one or two punts where you're like, yes, awesome. That's exactly what we need right now. But interspersed with like 25-yard kicks and 30-yard punts. And you're like, and and for Rice, like if you're spotting a team field position at the 50-yard line and you have a struggle giving up explosive plays, you're in field goal range and you're giving away points because you can't punt the football. And that's that's a problem. So that's been an issue. The other issue has been field goal kicking uh, their kicker. Tim Horn at, at one point missed three out of four where they kind of said, OK, we're going to look at it and reevaluate. And then they've just basically gone two games with scoring all touchdowns and not settling for field goals. So we haven't really seen him kick the ball in a pressure situation since, you know, the UConn game several, uh, several weeks ago now. So they. I, I think, and we've seen this in years past, I think if you get to the, you know, plus 35-ish territory and it's fourth and manageable, you will see Rice go for it maybe more often than you might think because they trust their quarterback a lot and they would rather not have to settle for three and rely on a, a kicker who has been inconsistent. Makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, Matthew Bartlett, thanks so much for joining the State of Dallas podcast. Check them out at theroost.com. Matthew, enjoy the game down there in Houston and uh, appreciate your time as always. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to this edition of the State of Dallas podcast, guys. We will catch you guys next week with another edition. Subscribe, follow, whatever you guys do wherever you catch your podcast at, both for the Republic of Football podcast, whether you're a Rice fan at, at the Roost or State of Dallas podcast. Check us out. The Republic of Football Podcast. Enjoy the game. Have a good one, everyone. We appreciate it.